acknowledge and identify. And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Welcome, human. Logan! I am ready for you. How many of you want this to be lasting? I never heard of a Sandman running, ever. There is no sanctuary. Fish, plankton, sea greens, and protein from the sea. You don't have to die. Well, no one has to die at 30. You can live. Live. You are terminated, runner. Disenfranchised by the modern comics industry, producer Paul Spitaro, Dr. Bill Robinson, and Scott H. Gardner, overwhelming, am I not? Now, fly the time stream in a never-ending quest to rediscover and reconnect with that unique brand of fun and excitement that can only truly be found in good old-fashioned, randomly selected comic book back issues. Journey with them now. Back. Back to the bin. Retrogram complete. Proceed 03303. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Back to the Bins. I'm Paul Spitaro, and that is Scott Gardner. Hey, how's it going? It's going well. We are moving on. We're, we're not not only are we in the future, but we're in the future of the future. Whoa. Right? Today we are continuing our coverage of Logan's run, but we've completed the movie, as you are well aware. And now we're moving into the post-movie two issues. So we're going to cover one tonight and one on another night. My understanding, and let, let me... Uh, Actually, let me preface this by the fact that this book has a Logan's Run continuation story, which is a little short, and then it's followed up with a Thanos story, which makes this book very valuable in in resale. Yeah. If you're interested in the Thanos story, it's Thanos and Drax the Destroyer, and it's a five-page story. I'm going to refer you to our friend uh, Al Sedano, who on his Resurrection show covered the Thanos and Drax story in episode number 116 of Resurrection. So, I generally don't like to send our listeners to other podcasts because I'm selfish, but in this instance, I'm going to send them there because <laughs> I don't think we're going to really cover that story. And the thing I actually picked up, I tried, you know, I didn't get too much from that, but the thing I got from that podcast is that apparently, after they concluded the adaptation of the movie, Marvel just assumed that it was okay for them to continue the series and was contacted and they were like, whoa, 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 what are you doing? <laughs> oh, is that right? Oh, okay. That's, that's, that's the version that, that they tell in that, in that episode and they do cite a source for that information. So I, I think it's probably pretty accurate that they just kind of assumed that they would, you know, they would continue with whatever, I guess, profit sharing deal or, or payment deal, you know, rights payment that they had. Uh, and that that would be that, but no. <laughs> That's funny because I have often wondered why, and after rereading this issue, it, it clearly feels like they had a plan or somebody did that, that it was going places. So for it to only last, you know, the two issues that it did last beyond the movie is kind of, it has always struck me as, well, that was sudden. 
So yeah, that that explains some things if they were in some sort of breach of contract or something. Yeah, I think the popular conception is that sales weren't as good as they thought and that you know they just canceled it. But apparently that's not the case and they just, you know, never bothered to work out the rights and apparently, you know, with the fact that they were going to do a TV show, uh, you know, they didn't want to they didn't I guess they didn't want to have too many different versions out there. Uh, so they put the kibosh on this series and I would be interested in knowing where it was, you know, what the plan was, where it was going to go. Uh, you know, I read this issue for tonight and I did not read the next one yet, but, uh, you know, if we were ever able to get John Warner who wrote this, uh, to, you know, give us a, an interview of some sort, it would be kind of cool to hear, you know, what his plans were and where he wanted to go with this and, and how much of that was based on his own outline and, and submitting it to Marvel for approval and how much of it was, this is where we want you to go write the script. Let's see. Is he still, well, according to Wikipedia, he's still alive. Still alive. I got six bullets in him and he's still alive. <laughs> according to Wikipedia, he is 67 years old. So, yeah, you know, it's a thought. Let me see if he's. I, I would not be. I would not be opposed. He co-created Ulysses Bloodstone. That's interesting. Huh. I wonder if he's on Facebook. I have no idea. See, I know the name, but that was the thing is I, I didn't really know anything about him at all. I mean, I couldn't tell you something else that he had done. It was just merely recognizing the name. So, yeah, it would be interesting to talk to him to see, you know, what what ideas did he have, if he remembers after all this time, and where might the story have gone, you know, that sort of thing. Well, I, I, I just tried to do a quick Facebook search for John Warner, and I came up with John Werner, who is also <laughs> friends with uh, Mike Zuderlo. Try... Um... Here, hang on just a second. This could be fascinating listening, but when I we'll look him post. up on Mike's Amazing World, uh, I'm doing the post on this. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> Oops. He actually had a longer name. Yeah, John David Warner. Try that. David Warner, one of my favorite actors. That's cool. He doesn't have, at least according to Mike's Amazing World, he does not have a huge body of work either. Well, I'm coming up with uh, one, two, three, four, five John David Warners, and I don't know, I don't know if any of them are our John David Warner. One lives right. in Atlanta. One one lives in New York. One lives in Western Australia. One lives in Mexico. See, I always think every every comic book writer lives in New York, which is definitely not the case anymore. But I always I always automatically think New York. You Actually, know? the New York one I'm just looking is John Werner, so uh, that's not him. Okay. How about the guy in Atlanta? Wikipedia looks too, looks too young. Is no help. It does not does not tell where he lives. Come on, Wikipedia. Up your game. I want I want his phone number. I want his email address. I want his social security number. Come on. Get on it. If by any chance John Warner listens to this, please reach out to us. We'd love hey, to talk to you. You never know. Well, you know, Paul uh, Paul Kupperberg, the, the only reason we ever got him on the show was that he reached out to us. Uh, I, I tagged him. Mike, you're it, baggy eyes. <laughs> 
this was years ago when we used to put the the shows up on a on like a podcasting I don't even know what you would call it. it was it was basically a place where you could advertise your latest episode and there was a feature where you could add in keywords mm-hmm. so if people were were looking for certain keywords in, in searches like on Google or something it would it would possibly hit and I put his name in as one of the keywords and he got in touch with us because of that which I always thought was really cool that's very cool I agree I'm not. I'm not seeing any. I'm not seeing any link to, to actually make contact with him because I would reach out, you know, with no problem. Right. He's actually listed on Memory Alpha, which is strange. He's a comic book writer, author, best known for his work on Gold Key's Flash Gordon series. Throughout his career, he also worked with DC Comics, Marvel Comics, Warren Publications, on a variety of titles, including Captain America, Doc Savage, Rampaging Hulk, and Son of Satan. He wrote several issues of the Gold, Tre- Gold Key Star Trek series, which is what uh. Memory Alpha, but the publication was canceled before his final issue could be published. Frank Bull was scheduled to be the artist for the final issue and completed 19 lettered pages, complete with pencil breakdowns, but they were never delivered. Interesting. That is interesting. Yeah, I wondered why he was on Memory Alpha. It would, it would huh. be real interesting to get a hold of him and, and hear not only about his Logan's Run information, but also his Star Trek, his Son of Satan. You know, this this definitely a, a, an area to be mined there if we ever get a hold of him, if we find a way. But we can only dwell on that for so long <laughs> before we should move on to another topic, I guess. Well, you know, you, you just hit on something, and I'm going to I'm gonna have you police me here, Paul, because you know I'm an old man who's definitely getting the early-onset Alzheimer's, so I can't remember. Maybe we've talked about this before, but now that one of my biggest nerd fantasies has been fulfilled with, uh, you know, a couple of years ago now, with uh, Star Trek finally crossing over with, uh, with Planet of the Apes, Another one I would really love to see is Star Trek and Logan's Run. Did we ever talk about this? I think we mentioned it in one of the earlier episodes. I think it came up that we would like to, you know, basically. I think it, it may have been even the most recent episode before this because we did have a gap in our recording of them. Uh, right. where we Where we talked about the possibility of, like, once they went out into the real world, that they encounter the ape planet, you know, the ape planet at that point, you know, because they were in the dome. Right. Yeah. We talked about Logan's run and apes crossing over, but I, I, I was always thinking uh, also of Logan's run and Star Trek crossing over because they are, while I don't see where you could make it the same earth. So I think they'd have to do it where it was an alternate planet, like they did with Star Trek planet of the apes. But they are in the same century, at least if you're talking about Kirk, because they both take place in the 23rd century. So that, to me, right there is is natural, fertile ground for a, a crossover. And I, I think it could be, you know, if you could do it right, it could be really interesting. Well, I mean, you, you could easily have the Enterprise just exploring, come across, you know, this iteration of Earth. Uh, you know, maybe maybe it has to be an alternate universe or something for them where they, you know, come, come across an ion storm and come out or something like that. But then, then you have issues with the Prime Directive and how they would deal with that. What if this was Miri's Earth? Ooh, with the kids. Yeah, I like that. If you could somehow tie this into Miri, 
because the thing there was if they aged beyond a certain point, they turned into like rampaging monsters or something. So Logan's society got to be that way because they weren't so much trying to control the population as they were trying to keep the people from turning into rampaging freaks. I, yeah, that would be that would be a pretty itself, cool right? origin. Yeah, Dude, that that would explain the whole, you know, Death Day. I like it. <sighs> although, although I think, uh, I I think on, in Miri's world, I think it was more like uh, you hit that point at like sixteen or something like that. Right. I don't, th- I don't think you got to uh, thirty. Well, plus they lived for what was it like hundreds of years or something too. They they were all screwed up. But, but you could you yeah. could definitely. You come can, up with ways of tying it. it in, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you could fudge it around, I'm sure. Yeah, it would be fun to, to try to do it. All right, well, before we get too further afield here, uh, it's uh, time to cover the issues. So we are looking at Logan's Run number 6 by, of course, Marvel Comics, cover dated June of 1977. was on sale, according to Mike's Amazing World of Comics, on March 15th of 1977. Now... I love the cover copy on this because you know, underneath uh, the Logan's Run logo, it says, now Marvel takes you beyond the book, beyond the movie. This would happen again more famously uh, in just a couple of months when uh, Star Wars would hit and, and go beyond its film and run for, what, like almost 10 years. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny with all many, many, many adaptations that marvel did i'm struggling to really think of any beyond this apes or star wars that did go well of course it was indiana jones too indiana jones but what what else did they battlestar galactica yeah you're right okay i guess there were quite a few <laughs> um, was, what other ones i'm trying to think of all the licensed properties right. and yeah I, I don't think there's too many that well 2001 went a little beyond the uh well, it went way beyond because really the Treasury Edition was the adaptation of the movie. The series right. was all beyond the movie. Of course, the series had really very, very little to do with the movie, right? Or the book, but it, it was beyond it. You know, by the time uh, Kirby let his ideas run wild, that's one I still have to read. I've, I've still never read you know the complete series of that. I. I don't know that I still have it, but I had the the Treasury Edition adaptation at one time and, and I liked it. I didn't love it, but I liked it. But I was always I don't curious have the Treasury it. Edition, and I think I I'm missing issue six. Actually, issue six and issue eight I'm missing. It's a ten issue run. I'd like to read it just to have it under my my belt. Much the same way with Eternals, although I have to admit that was that was a bit of a slog. It started really strong, and I was really into it, but then it it quickly went off the rails and became kind of a tough read for me. But anyway, back to this cover on this by Paul Gulacy, who is doing, in my opinion, a poor man's uh, Jim Steranko impression. Now, with the sole exception of Box down in the right-hand corner, I, I got to be completely honest. I do not like this cover. Uh, what do you think of this one? Actually, you know, the biggest thing I don't like about it, and, and I, you know, it's interesting. I was trying to figure out where, you know, what, where, how can I describe this? And I think your your Steranko comparison is pretty on the money. Um, I, the biggest thing that I don't like is the proportion of Logan's right leg. It's drawn too small, even though it's supposed to be like he's in motion running. But right. it, it just, 
it needed to be just a little bit bigger. But I kind of like it. I think it sets itself apart from the uh, the adaptation while still maintaining enough of the concepts with box and and the uh, the hand and everything in the background. I think the the red color in the back kind of makes it pop. Uh, I like the way Logan and Jessica are drawn overall. And then there's something about the fact that Logan's uniform, while the rest of the cover is awash with color, uh, Logan's uniform is purely black, gray, and white. And I think that makes it really stand out. It almost gives it uh, like a faux 3D appearance to me. So I'm kind of high on the cover while you're hating it. Yeah, I really, I've, I've never liked this. I think, I think it's, it's basically, it's two things. It's the color. I, while I agree that it pops, I just don't like the color choices that were made here. And then Jessica, eh, she's all right, basically except for her face. She's got kind of a weird, something's going on with her face. But then Logan just looks all wrong. He's like he's... He's like he's some sort of human Camino alien hybrid thing or something. He's he's just all screwed up. His neck's too long. His le- legs are all weird. And yeah, he just he just doesn't look right to me at all. Uh, it's just poor anatomy is really what it comes down to. So yeah, I I think the like the layout of the background and everything could work with, with different colors. I think I I bet you this looks really cool in black and white. I've never seen it black and white, but it probably looks really cool. Black and white. I just don't really care for the figures of, uh, of Logan and Jessica, which are, you know, the primary focus of the, of the cover. This is, this is easily my least favorite cover of the series. I have to admit. So aftermath, is the name of our story. It's written by newcomer to this title, John Warner, as we were just talking about, with art by newcomer to this title, Tom Sutton, and inks by newcomer to this title, Terry Austin, who I'm a big fan of. So, synopsis on this one. Uh, It's pretty short and sweet. Panic! We open to the exterior of the city where all hell has broken loose and the citizens are rioting in the wake of the destruction of their domed community and its computerized, population-controlled way of life. Logan and other remaining Sandmen are stripped of their weapons and jailed, but when a rainstorm creates a flash flood that rips through the ruins, sweeping innocent souls along with it, the people seek some form of leadership so the Sandmen are freed again to deal with the crisis. Logan tries to rescue a group of trapped people, but accidentally lets loose a torrent that sweeps him and the group out through the city's duct system. Quick thinking and a well-placed blaster shot from Logan saves their lives. Later, attempting to restore power, Logan descends far beneath the city through the broken carousel crystal floater platform thing and, observed by an unknown party, makes a startling discovery that we are not privy to, while above, Billy the Cub lays plans to seize the moment and take his share from the surviving inhabitants of Logan's world. Next issue, Cathedral Prime. So what would you think of this one, Paul? I kind of liked it. Uh, It took me... I mean, I think the whole story is about... 13, 14 pages, something like that. It's a, it's a short story. Uh, and it took me a, a little bit of time just to kind of acclimate myself to it and get comfortable with it. But I like the fact that 
as a concept, what they went with is immediately after the euphoria ended of, hey, we don't have to die at 30, they fell into just like bedlam because they didn't know how to deal with it, especially without the computer available, with being exposed to the elements outside of the dome. They, you know, they, they were just totally ill-prepared for that. And, and I think it was a pretty good concept to work on. It feels like, you know, you have a lot of room for growth there and a lot of potential stories as the Sandmen come in, you know, first they're the enemies, oh, let's lock them up. And what I mentioned was the one thing that bothered me is Jessica says, oh, they could help us, let them free. And they say, oh, okay, and they just let them out. It's <laughs> like, you know, really? You, you, you were incensed and you threw them into this jail cell and all she says is they might be able to help us, let them out. Uh, so I thought that was kind of just dopey. Uh, I think, you know, you had to have her give a little bit more of an impassioned speech in order to inspire them to let them out at that point. But we totally skipped over that anyway. But, <laughs> you know, you, you're going to have to have a government come into place. You're gonna, so you could have a lot of intrigue there. Uh, you know, just what it, what is the leadership? Uh, are the Sandmen, you know, are some of them going to be corrupt with with power now that they can kind of take over, the, you know, as the ruling class? Uh, so, I, like I said, I just see tremendous potential for stories, and it makes me sad that they only did two. And then they also add in that the Cubs are still out there and that, you know, they, they're out for revenge, basically, for what's gone on in the past. So, you know, that's that's going to be the next order of business in this series before we even get to all those potential areas to be mined. So, like I said, it took me a little bit to get into it, but once I did, I started seeing the potential here, and I started really enjoying it. What did you think? Flipping to that first page, the first thing that hit me is the art. I love the art. I'm not the biggest Tom Sutton fan. I'm most familiar with Tom Sutton from his run on DC Star Trek, which started eh, and then descended into just... Blech, by the end of it. So I've always had a very low opinion of him, but I've come to realize I really think it was his inker on that series. And this here seems to kind of shore up that opinion because this looks great. And I mean, I've never seen anything by Terry Austin that I didn't think was fabulous. Anyway, the guy's just an incredible inker and, a, and an incredible artist in his own right. So I really like the art on the flip side though. If there was one way that I would not want to see a Logan's Run sequel or continuation start, this was it right here. <laughs> now, you've kind of swayed me a bit in that opinion because you're right. I mean, it, it does create drama and, and exciting possibilities of where the story could go if we see the people suddenly realize, you know, like you say, suddenly go from, hey, we're, we're free of the system. We don't have to die at 30 anymore. But then eventually get to a point where they're like, oh, my God, we're going to starve and die. We don't know how to take care of ourselves. We're, we're basically children. But I think you do that gradually. So I've always thought that the end of the movie, you know, the end of the story, whether it's the comic or the movie, had a wonderful simplicity to it. You know, it was, it was a very, it was a happy ending for all intents and purposes. And I like the way the movie ends. Then you open this and it kind of craps on that ending because you see it lasted 15 minutes and then all hell breaks loose. 
And so I really don't like the way this issue starts. So it started at a disadvantage for me because I, I opened up and I saw this page and I'm just like, oh, God. I do agree with you that uh, that they got to that point very, very quickly, uh, the point of, of mass uh, hysteria, that, that it might not have been bad. You know, we only have two issues here, so I'm not sure how you would do it because I think you could easily go with like five or six issues where Logan is – proclaimed as the conquering hero that he he freed them and over just a course of a couple of issues everything starts to deteriorate so badly uh you have a faction of the sandmen who are uh you know they're jealous or they're hungry for power so they start trying to usurp his power so you could have a little bit of action and drama worked into it that way uh and then eventually he's got to come to the realization i'm not your leader. I don't have the ability to do that. And they could really start falling in, you know, deeper, deeper, deeper and deeper into uh, a society that needs to develop. So that wouldn't be a bad way to go at all. And they kind of do that, only they just do it, you know, in like three panels. <laughs> See, I, I agree with all of that. And I, and I think that's more or less where they're going with this. It's more or less where it went. It's just, I think my problem is, is I just have an instant gut reaction to this first page where it's pandemonium. I mean, people are rioting, they're, they're fighting. You know, you see a guy about to get his head bashed in with a rock and that's just not where I want to see the story go. You know, I, I, I would much rather this started literally the next minute after the end of the movie where you see the people kind of mill around and, and after, after a, a little while of, you know, the, the afterglow with the old, you know, meeting the old man and all that, then suddenly they're faced with, okay, what now? And start that way. But starting with this riot, I, I, I just think it kind of, pisses on the ending of the movie and that that, that disappoints me because I, I like the way the movie ends and in all fairness you know logan's run to me is one of those movies where i, I never needed a sequel so maybe there, there's that too but i think that you know there are ways that you could do a continuation and make it interesting because once we get past this Basically, when you get because I, I really didn't like this starting out and you would ask me before we get started was the comment I made on, on Facebook today about reading a, a a bad comic. You know, was it about this? And it was initially when I was in the early pages of this, I was talking about this. But then once you get to the point where the flood happens and they free the Sandmen to help and try to save people and all that. Then all of a sudden it got interesting to me. And I'm like, okay, now we're getting more into exploring the world, exploring the city. Logan's on a mission again. Then it, then it ramped back up and it got me sucked into what the story was. It was just that opener of panic and riot and chaos that I, I just didn't like. It just happened too fast. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, what I keep saying is, you know, if you podcast enough, it makes a hypocrite out of you. And we have constantly <laughs> complained about the decompressed storytelling. And then when we get to something that's so compressed like this, we complain about the opposite. But I do think this is <laughs> this is the exception, not the rule. I think I, I prefer 
the compressed storytelling as a general rule, but in certain instances, especially when we're looking at it from a critical point of view, I think there's something to be said for showing how things develop and not just saying it happened. So I agree with you in that respect. And somehow I think the hindsight of knowing that they only went two issues here is coloring my opinion of it a little bit, because if we have it the way that you and I probably both would have developed it in the two issues that were presented, we wouldn't even have gotten really to the Bedlam yet. Right. Right. So, so if I only had two issues and all I had was a continuation of the happiness, I'd be saying, but where's, where's the, you know, where, where is it clashing? You know, where's the confrontation? Where's, you know, what, what's going on here? Uh, and I think, you know, it would have been, it would have been too little development over two issues. Now, again, if I knew for a fact they were going to have 10, 15 issues, then I guarantee you, yeah, I definitely want to develop this more slowly. And I would, I would have saved the Cubs for, uh, I don't know, at least five or six issues in. I wouldn't have been putting them out there in the first issue. Yeah, I, I wonder if part of this is just it, it's a victim of its time in the aspect of, you know, this is Marvel in the the mid-70s. So it's appealing to the young boys and young men. It has to have a certain action quotient to it. So rather than have it start off cerebral where it's picking up after the movie and the people come to the realization that we don't know how to live. We don't know how to survive on our own without being told by the computer or, or fed by the computer and coming to that on their own. I, I think you can skip the whole, you know, panic and riot aspect of this. However, is that interesting enough to a predominantly young male audience in 1977, you know, to go that cerebral route? Or does it appeal to them more when they turn the page and, you know, there's action and violence? And it's probably the latter, you know, which is why it does this. But I, I just think it's, it's to the ultimate detriment of the story to have it go this route. I think there's plenty of action once the flood happens. So there, you know, there's where you get your action, and that's where the story, to me, that's where it picks up and gets exciting again, because I really did like those sequences. And I just got to say again, I mean, the art throughout this thing is beautiful. I really do like the art. There's some really, really great uh, panels and great sequences in this. I, I really think this is uh, some good, you know, some good-looking stuff artistically. And this, you know, the story, once it got going, the story was pretty good. So ultimately, I, I did like it. I did ultimately find it to be a, a good and interesting read, and I'm curious where it goes. I'm really curious if we get reveals on any of this, because I totally don't remember what happens in that final issue. So I'm wondering, are we going to find out who the mysterious figure is down in the core? Are we going to find out? you know what it you know what the shocking thing is that logan sees down there and i just i don't remember it seems to me that the next issue had more to do with the cubs attacking but based on the cover that's what i would say and i but i haven't read it through yet so i'm wondering that myself yeah i i just don't remember looking at the artwork i wanted to comment um you know when, when we start off 
Uh, I'm looking at, you know, it, it looks like, especially like the, the opening page, you could definitely see the Terry Austin aspect of it. And, you know, throughout the book you do it, it, it is a little bit more traditional Marvel than, say, Terry Austin inking John Byrne, uh, you know, a little bit more of the 70s house style, but really, really nice. But then when we get, you know, you, it's almost like the tone is different from the earlier issues with uh, Klaus Janssen inking them because of that. It's not as dark until we get to the last like two or three pages uh once we get to the point where uh the sandmen are free after logan shoots the hole in and they they get out of the uh the, the flood all of a sudden the, the inking gets much darker and thicker especially especially that very last page where where logan is kind of floating that almost looks like it's inked by klaus jansen page 15 the one where the Sandmen are up on that little platform delivering their proclamation. And then down at the bottom, you've got Billy holding the knife. Austin did not ink that page. So it's, this is funny. I'm going to pat myself on the back because as I was reading through this and I flipped to that page, I made a note saying this is not Terry Austin. And then when I went to because I wasn't sure if we were going to cover the, uh, the Thanos mm-hmm. backup story. So I went in to steal a synopsis for it from uh, the Marvel Wiki, just in case we ended up talking about it. And when I went in there, they have absolutely no synopsis or notes or anything about the Logan's Run story in the issue. But they did mention that Klaus Jansen did uncredited inks on page 15. So I was right. This is not Terry Austin. It is Klaus Jansen. So, so you, you know, you, you called it on the head and I said it looks different. So I guess we both kind of, you know, I said it looks more like the Clash Jansen style. So, uh, but then just, he just did the one page. According to them. Now I'm trying to look at what, what's the other one that you thought was, oh yeah, you're right. Yeah. That last, the last, the last page when you see Logan kind of floating, not when they show the Cubs at the bottom panel, the, the three panels above it. I don't know. That's, that still looks like Austin to me. Does it not to you? It could be Austin. I'm not saying it's uh, Jansen. I'm just saying it looks a little, the line work looks a little heavy for Austin to me. Although on the first panel around the circular opening, there's the, you know, zipper tone, uh, which is almost like a Terry Austin staple. Absolutely. You know, what's really funny is that second panel, the shot of Logan right there. Now, Clearly, you know, this is Austin here doing the inks. It's a different penciler, but that could be Austin inking Infantino on those early issues of Star Wars. That that almost looks like an Infantino Luke Skywalker head. That's really yeah, funny. It does. You're right. It really does. And, you know, that that was still several months in the future yet. I don't like uh, what's his name? Billy the Cub. I don't I don't like the way they draw his eyes. I just. I don't know. It just doesn't look natural to me, and I don't like it. No, you're right. He looks like a elf, or like uh, he reminds me of that. Uh, what was that pirate show that was like? It reminds me of the uh, the leader of the uh, Lost Boys in Hook. Lost Boys, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. That's exactly what I was thinking. You know, like the Lost Boy. There was some pirate show not long ago that was like a spinoff of Peter Pan, and that's that's what it reminded me of. But I couldn't think of the name of it. I forget what but, the yeah. uh, what which what his what the character's name was, but that's. Definitely what he looks Rufio. like. Rufio! Oh, yeah, Rufio. Yes. Rufio! 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 Thank you. 
<laughs> oh, I love that movie. <laughs> I know you're a fan. Yes. No, it just is an interesting side note, and, and I know I shouldn't be going this far afield yet, but the Thanos story was apparently Mike Zeck's tryout to work at Marvel Comics. Oh, is that right? And it certainly does not look like the Mike Zeck style that we eventually got to know. No, not at all. If, if somebody had handed me artwork from this and said, quick, who's this artist? Mike Zeck would be left the last one, I would guess, because it, yeah, it totally doesn't look like his stuff. It's not bad, mind you. It's just it's not the Zeck we would come to know. Well, this is I guess this is him trying to fit some sort of style that he thinks they were looking for as opposed to uh, using his own style. That's, right. that's all I can just imagine with it. Yeah, I knew this was early in his career just from looking, you know, on Mike's Amazing World. But, yeah, I didn't realize this was his tryout work. What's very ironic is that not only is this backup story what drives the the back issue prices of this issue. And I've seen it like crazy expensive. But also, this is the only thing that's ever been reprinted from these seven issues of Logan's run. And it's actually been reprinted a good number of times too. And yet still, even with all those reprintings, it, this issue commands uh, high back issue prices. So that's, that's kind of weird. Well, it is, I guess the first Thanos solo story. Well, that's the thing is that it's, is it a Thanos story? Because I would argue it's more a destroyer story than it is a Thanos story. But I mean, Thanos definitely, you know, he appears, but is he the focus or is, is Drax the focus? I guess story wise, I guess Drax is the focus, but value wise, it's Thanos. People aren't aren't seeking out the, although I guess, you know, with the guardians movie, Drax's appearances are probably more valuable than they once were as well. But uh, I don't, I don't think it has the same uh, cachet. Right. So back to to Logan a little bit. Yeah, I I guess my biggest criticism of this would be going along with what you're saying is I just feel like they're wasting a little bit of uh, dramatic development that they could be doing here. But, you know, you, you do have a good point when you say about the action appealing to the audience that, you know, the target audience. So even with, you know, what I'm talking about with, you know, just political collapsing and intrigue and all of that stuff, you would have to work in action sequences. And that's kind of where I, in my mind, where I I would be using the Sandmen who resent, and they play it well here, that they resent Logan for killing Francis. How did they know that? That was one of my big notes is how did, you know, the guy that calls him out, Modar, which by the way, what is with the stupid names in this issue? We get Modar and Priest. Those yeah. are not names, not first names <laughs> anyway. I mean, that, what? I mean, well, that's, that was kind of the beauty of Logan's run is that you got normal names, Logan, Jessica, Francis, you know, and all of a sudden we got Modar. <laughs> is that even a real name? It's I'd like to meet my son, Modar. Uh, 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 somebody's been sleeping in my bed. Uh, no, <laughs> I don't think it is. But the, the beginning of the story is apparently supposed to take place, you know, at least at least a number of hours after the end of the movie. So I'm assuming at some point he relayed to the crowd what had what had happened to him. But I mean, now, don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I don't think 
Logan is uh, a rocket scientist, but I don't think he's an idiot either. Why the hell would he tell them that he killed Francis? Why would he admit that to anybody? So, you know, because I had I had the same no prize for this because my note that I wrote down was how did Modar know that Logan killed Francis? My no prize would be, well, he must have told them. But why would he tell them? I'm going to I'm going to try and no prize it further and say at some point he was confronted with the fact that they knew Francis was tracking him down and they confronted him with the question of what had happened to Francis. And he was too honest to make shit up and he just admitted what happened thinking that they would understand and they didn't i can kind of i can kind of buy that i don't like it but i can kind of buy it i think it i think it makes him seem more naive than i think he really is but at the same rate you know maybe he totally i mean going by what happens in this issue not what i really believe the sequence of events should be I can kind of see that because I think here clearly Logan misjudged the people, you know, and what they what their reaction to all this would be, you know, which is evidenced by, you know, they immediately descend into this. I think you can make a legitimate argument that that Logan is naive uh, because he, you know, he if if you, you look at every step of the journey in the movie and in the comic he kind of thinks he, he walks in thinking the best and then has to be shown that he's wrong. You know, he, 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 he goes in, true. He, he's, he's very quick to believe everything that's going on in, in carousel. Then he goes into the computer and he just assumes the computer is going to do the right thing by him. And it doesn't. Then he goes to the doctor who tries to kill him, but he trusts him and, and gets into that situation. Then, you know, he expects box to, to finally bring them to sanctuary and they don't. Then Francis comes out and he's like, okay, I'll, you know, let me just explain to him what's going on. And Francis tries to kill him. So like every step of the way, I think he was a little naive and he's trying to see the best outcome uh, or he's hoping for the best outcome in every situation. So based upon those character traits that we're seeing as he develops through the movie and the comic, uh, I could see him saying, well, if I explain to them what happened with Francis, they'll understand. And then they don't. I, I think I could buy that. But if this trend continues in his life, what's he going to be like by, like, say, 40 years old? He's going to be a paranoid schizophrenic. You know? <laughs> it's yeah, going to have an awful effect on him. He won't be able to trust anybody. But that could be an interesting character development and character arc for him, too. Yeah. Where, all of, where all of a sudden, you know, he, he starts to change from the naive, trusting guy to the cynical guy who, you know, is suspects that everybody's out for, for their own well-being and that he can't trust them. And then eventually he's going to have somebody who he's going to have to lean on and, and and trust to do the right thing by him. And, you know, it it's going to have to work out one way or the other. And maybe you go back and forth with that a little bit. Sometimes he trusts them and they, it works out for the best, and sometimes they screw him over. I wish it told how much time passed, because your explanation actually addresses another question I had here. So on page two, fourth panel, this dude, we don't get his name, he's just this dude wearing like a green skirt. <laughs> he's confronting Logan, essentially. He says, you claim to offer truth, Logan. And my note was, when? So 
going with your explanation of, you know, he must have told his story at some point, including the fact that he caused Francis death, then he must have revealed, you know, some things to these people that they took, you know, of, of him, you know, offering them something or telling them something. So that, that kind of no prize is that as well. But yeah, it's, it's definitely clunky in the first half, clunkier in the first half than it, than it is in the second half of the story. I think there's a moment here, the panel just prior where the guy's grabbing old man by the, by the beard, which I didn't like because <laughs> he's an old man. You can hurt him. Uh, he says, uh, we don't want to end up like you. We don't want to grow old. And I'm like, since when? Yeah, well, yeah, that, that's a, yeah, that was a little bit of a quick development, I got to say. It makes me think of uh, the Ten Commandments when Moses, you know, and I'm talking about the Charlton Heston movie, not not, <laughs> not right. the actual commandments. But, when you know, Moses does all these things for, for the people to get them freed. And, and the second, like, things turn on him and, and the Pharaoh says, oh, you know, make them uh, make bricks without straw or whatever it is he says. And then all of a sudden the people are like, stone him! <laughs> and I always found that to be, like, such an amazingly quick turnaround that it just cracks me up every time I watch it. And that's what it felt like here. Like, you know, I'm in, like, at the end of the movie, they're, they're rubbing their hands on his face saying, oh, my God, let me see. You know, I've never seen anything like this. Can I touch you? And and now it's like, I don't want to be like you. <laughs> I would rather die at 30. But, you know, and they don't say it in here. But I guess the reality is they're starting to believe again with that, that they, you know, that they're reincarnated or whatever it is they call it. Renewed. yeah, Renewed. So that they're going back to that that old belief, which you know that they've spent a lifetime believing that. So I can understand where it's not they're not so quick to to just eliminate that thought, and and it's like okay, you're going to renew me, and I'm going to be a newborn again, and I'm going to live a whole life as a young vital person, or I can become this decrepit old thing with arthritis and and you know slow moving and and you know creases on his face and whatever. You know, I, I, I could see where, where that could happen, but they just do it so fast. They don't give you any kind of basis for it. And I don't necessarily know that it's Warner's fault. I think, you know, it's he might have been under a directive to get this thing, you know, get it moving and get it moving quick. Right, right. Well, I mean, in his defense, you know, uh, Warner's defense, um, while I, I had some serious issues with, you know, a lot of nitpicks and, uh, and just some serious issues with the way the narrative starts, uh, he did do some things that I really liked. For example, there's the explanation. Oh, real quick before I do that, though. Uh, quick question. Same page, that last panel, the narration box says, while stripped of their blasters, the Sandmen are led to, and they, it shows them being thrown in, a, in the prison. How did this society how did these regular citizens disarm all of the sandmen how how did that happen yeah well it was another another thing that happened too quickly yeah and there's no explanation given i mean they didn't have weapons or anything so or even if they did i mean people with we saw that in the attack in the underground in the movie and in the adaptation that even though those people down there had like clubs and spears and that gas and everything they were still blown away by an army of sandmen. So if the populace turned on the sandmen, 
I, I still don't think that even with their numbers, they would be able to disarm all of the Sandmen. So, yeah, that was kind of a, a hole in the in the narrative there. I'm going to give you another nitpick on page six, the middle panel with Logan sitting in the uh, makeshift prison. All he's got to do is get up and step through those those openings. Right. <laughs> yes. There's no way that, that that prison is holding any any person. Those bars are way too wide apart. That begs a question too that I thought of is my my first thought initially was, you know, why why is there a jail here and all? And I was thinking about the jail specifically, but ultimately. I came to a much simpler question of would there be a jail? It, you would think in this society that's population controlled the way it is and just very, it seems very strict in, in certain, you know, in, in a certain regard that the Sandmen, I mean, they're not quite judge dread, but I mean, they do have ultimate authority in this society. I mean, they go out and they just, you know, they, they kill people, you know, that's essentially their job. I would wonder with it being under this strict control and everything that if, if someone did something jail worthy, would they even go to jail or would they just be terminated? So I maybe the feeling they would just be terminated. Yeah, that that's what I think. And I, so that to me my question was would there be a jail in this world? And I don't think there would be. I don't think you would have a need for it because if someone did something that was considered a crime enough to be incarcerated that they would just simply just eliminate them. I I don't think there would be a jail. I mean, because you don't have time to rehabilitate anybody in a 30-year lifespan. I, I just don't see it. It's a waste of resources in a world that seems very controlled. So I, I thought, I, I mean, I don't know if that's necessarily a, a you want to call that a, a plot hole, but I kind of I kind of looked at it that way. I mean, if this is actually a pre-existing jail, because it almost looks like they just threw them in the first convenient spot that they thought would, would contain them, that it may not necessarily have actually been functioned as a jail pre destruction here. It's kind of hard to say. Cause as, as you pointed out that panel, it just looks like a bunch of shit. That's just laying all topsy turvy all over there. It doesn't really look like a jail. It just looks like rubble with some bars stuck in it. Yeah. So, but back to the thing about Warner, I was going to say is, um, he did do some some interesting things here. I like when the Sandmen are confronting Logan and essentially uh, Modar picks a fight with him that we see Logan just kind of, you know, he fights back, he springs into action, and the narration box tells us that essentially, you know, not only has he been trained as a Sandman, but he is the best, meaning he, he was the best of the Sandmen. And then a little bit later we get the the recap where Logan's thinking back on the events of the movie and everything. And he supposes that he must have convinced computer of his argument that the system was wrong and that she, meaning the computer overloaded and blew everything up purposely. And I kind of like both of these because I see it as Warner trying to, tie up loose ends, kind of clean up some of the lingering questions 
from both the film and the adaptation. You know, he is the best thing I'm looking at as an explanation for why did the computer choose Logan? Why was he selected for this? And I don't think anybody within the ranks of the Sandmen understood that, you know, he had doubts, that he had questions, or that he was beginning to doubt or question. They, you know, the computer and his fellow Sandmen just accepted the fact that, you know, amongst their ranks, he, he was the best one. And so the computer selected him because it figured he was indoctrinated enough into the system to stay on mission outside, you know, the city seals and to continue to, to stay on point and function and just impersonate a runner, uh, whether, you know, he really was one or not. And so essentially the computer misjudged him, but also the thing about, you know, we finally get an explanation for what was that last scene in the film, you know, when the computer just suddenly blows up Mm -hmm. in the midst of this interrogation. And I don't know if I, if I, if I'm totally on board with it, but at least it is an explanation, which we just never got in the film. You know, he just somehow with the power of his brain or something is able to defeat the interrogation process and, and everything blows up. And it, I mean, when you think about it too much, it is a, a pretty silly ending. And I like that Warner's making a little sense of it here. He's, he's making it maybe a tad more plausible or something, or, or maybe laying the groundwork for other re, you know, revelations later on. I'm not sure, but I did like that. There, there was you know, little glimpses like that. There were other things, too, when Logan and the others get swept away. He says something about, oh, it's on page 14, the second panel. He says, a strong rip current here, just under the surface. And a little bit earlier, it had mentioned how the citizens, it was back on page 10, the caption mentioned that there was no word in their vocabulary for the word, or the, their vocabulary does not include the word weather, is what the caption said. So I'm thinking, if they don't know what weather is, how the hell does Logan know what a rip current is? And <laughs> Warner actually explained that, that he has Logan as Logan's rescuing a woman. He says, I remember training now uh, for tracking runners into the water duck system. We were warned of rip currents. So he he explains you know how Logan knows. And I liked that. It was it was simple, it was straightforward, it made sense. And so he, you know, he's clearly thinking, Warner, I mean, you know, thinking about these things as he's writing it. And that kind of helped shore this up for me that while I may not have liked how it got rolling, that now it's rolling. And I can tell that he's, you know, he's working within the internal mechanics of the story. So I, I did like that. Yeah, I could go along with that. That, that seems unf- that seems fair enough. While I really like the flood scene, how much friggin' rain did it, did it do to cause this? I mean, we see it start out as basically just you know a little bit of precipitation, and all of a sudden, it's. I mean, look at that fourth panel on page ten. I mean, that's like a dam break or something. I mean, it's just a massive wave of water 
that's that's sweeping through uh, the ruins of the city and taking people with it. I mean, that that's a massive amount of water. Yeah. Oh, it's crazy. I, I that's it's a bit much. They they should have had like a a dam break or something, not just rain. I do like the guy getting zapped by the cable though. That's it's gruesome, but it's still pretty cool. It works. For, that works for me definitely. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, because cause they're not, you know, it's not prepared for it. I, that's the way I kind of read that. Th- th- there's two shots, that one, and then if you go back two pages when in the flashback when they show Logan uh, shooting the runner from behind, those remind me a lot of Sutton on Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah. And probably my biggest complaint about Sutton in this book, and I'll say even Sutton and Austin, is in the flashbacks when they show Francis, it looks nothing like Francis. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, I noticed that too. I really, I do like the art quite a bit, though. I, I mean, you know, again, mostly for, uh, mostly for this, uh, the uh, Austin inks, but I do like it. I would have been, I would have been really happy if they had stuck with this particular art team, because I, I really do enjoy. Austin style. He's just he's got a clean line that I really like. Oh, definitely. That's that's his biggest appeal. He just he always makes every every penciler look better. Uh, you know, I, I like his style. It's easily identifiable, but I don't feel like he overpowers the penciler either. It, it, it you know it's a that's a tough act to do to where you can have a, a very easily identifiable inking style. You know that that you can look right at and go, oh, that's Terry Austin, while still, you know, allowing the the original penciler's style to come through as well. That that's got to be a tough, you know, a tough gig. But he he really pulls it off. I like this. I mean, there's a couple wonky bits here and there, but some of that I I think I would actually attribute to the penciler rather than uh, than Austin's inks because. Yeah, as I say, I'm not not the biggest uh, Tom Sutton fan in the world, but this shows me that there can be uh, good Tom Sutton as opposed to most of that Star Trek stuff. Is just, that, that was the biggest reason I stopped collecting that book is the art was never that strong to begin with, but by the end, I mean, it had just degenerated into crap. Everything looks so rushed and off-model and just lazy. Some some of this, like I said, like Francis and everything, is a little, definitely off model. Uh, but over overall, I would have positive things to say about the artwork. So we'll we'll get to that in our ratings, I guess. Well, I'm that's all I've got. If you want to go ahead and jump to ratings, okay. Well, I think I'll, probably our biggest disagreement on this is going to be the cover because uh, you didn't like it and I kind of dug it. And and honestly, your your linking it to Starenko made me like it more. Because uh, because I was looking at it and trying to think of what you know what am I what am I missing here and I think you're pointing that out said it to me uh, I think it's striking I think the colors really pop at you I think especially when you consider the contrast with the Logan black and white uniform Sandman uniform I don't think Jessica looks anything like Jenny Agutter but I don't think Logan looks like Michael York either so I'm kind of okay with that. Uh, I have a little slight issue with the fact that they're showing Box on the cover, and Box has absolutely nothing to do with this comic except in a in in one panel where there's a flashback. Right. Uh, 
and and he's he's fairly prominent on the cover too. He's not just a tiny little figure in the background. So you know that is a negative. But I, I get the feeling this cover was drawn without even knowing what was going to be inside the book. That it was just going to be beyond the movie kind of thing. So I'm I'm kind of okay with that. And again, I, I think I think it looks pretty striking. I'm going to say for me, it's a B plus. It's not quite an A cover, but it's 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 really I like it a lot. The interior art is a little inconsistent, and I'm I, I am a little thrown off by uh, you know that you're you're letting me know that the page that I said looks like it's going back to Jansen actually is Jansen. Uh, I I I would have never thought that, but I did think it was a kind of an effort to go back to that style a little bit. Uh, but I. I think it's pretty cool that that's the case i think it's it's a little some of the the faces are just slightly more generic than i'd like and i think that's more of a letdown from george perez to tom sutton uh but other than that i think the panel i think the layouts are pretty cool i think it's paced fairly well throughout uh although the story just goes at, at a lightning pace as we've talked about overall i like the artwork though and i'm going to say a b on the artwork story wise my biggest complaint is just that it moves along way way too fast uh, i think you know i would have liked to have seen the intrigue develop a little bit some of the subplots you know had some groundwork laid for them but i do think that uh warner warner did a good job of setting it up so that there's a lot of potential to move forward with it, which is what I talked about at the very beginning. So it did get me excited for what was to come. So I'm going to stay consistent with my other things, and I'm going to say a B on the story. I think if they had slowed the pace a little bit, it, it could have been an A story. Um, and I'm not 100% sure, like I said, that that wasn't an editorial mandate. But whatever the case may be, I think you know slightly slower take this this one issue and drag it out over two issues and i think it's an a story but in one issue or 15 pages i think it's just done a little too quickly overall i'll give the book a b all right well i'm sorry i i really do not like this cover i'm not a fan of paul galacy to begin with and but i have seen stuff from him that i that i do like so in that regard, he's kind of like a, he's kind of like a Howard Chaikin, you know, where there's good Chaikin, there's bad Chaikin. There's well, there's good Galacy, there's bad Galacy, and this is to me is bad Galacy. The anatomy's wonky, the colors just don't work with the illustration, and he's doing this weird Starenko riff, and I, I know I'm going to get beat up for this. But I don't like Starenko either, so. It just it just doesn't work. The only thing I really like about the cover is I like the box stuff down in the in the corner, but I agree with you. Box has absolutely nothing to do with what the hell's going on in this story. Same thing with the uh, with the carousel person that's kind of you know dangling in the air over there. I mean, other than you know the flashback that we get within the issue, I mean these elements don't really play into the story at all. So, yeah. This particular cover, I, I'm sorry, I'm I'm gonna give it a, a I think I'm gonna go a D. I'll just go a flat D. I, I really don't care for it. Interior art, I really like, but I'm trying to give it an honest grade because a lot of what I like about it is you've got a blonde sci-fi laser gun wielding hero dealing with 
you know, flash floods and being in the water for much of the issue and all these things. These are all things that are bringing me back to my childhood love of the first post-Star Wars story in Marvel Star Wars dealing with Luke Skywalker where he went to the water planet. That, that reminds me of that so much because it was all that stuff was inked by Austin. So that that's just a few months in the future from this issue. So the art style is so close that it's, it's giving me the warm fuzzies for that stuff, but trying to judge it more, you know, impartially on its own. Um, yeah, there's a little bit of wonky anatomy in, in places. Some of the faces are a little weird in particular, like page 11, that last panel of, of Logan underwater. He just looks weird. He looks like he's changing into the Hulk or something. His arms are freaking huge and, he just looks really weird. But then, you know, there's other stuff like the the panel above where he's using his laser gun. I love that shot. So, yeah, it's a little inconsistent here and there. But oh, overall, I really do like the art. I think I'm going to go a, a straight up B on the art because I really do like it. If they'd stuck with this art team for, you know, I mean, there's only one issue remaining. But, I mean, if this had been the, the new regular art team, I, I'd be on board with it. I really liked it a lot. And I, I think one of the things that's really telling is when we do briefly go back to Jansen as the anchor on page 15, it's jarring. I mean, it's really a big difference between their particular styles. And while I really liked Jansen's inks over Perez, I don't dig Jansen's inks over Sutton here at all it's too dark it's weird and moody and muddy and i just don't care for it so anyway yeah i, I think i'm gonna go straight up b on the artwork and then the story the story is tough because i really hate the way the story starts i mean i really hate it as i said it was it was no exaggeration when i said if there's one way to make me just open up the issue and go oh god this was it i just i hate this opening but once we get past the opening, I kind of dig it. And I, I kind of like where we leave off in this, where there's some new drama that's been created. There's some new mystery. You know, who is the person in the core? What does Logan see? You know, what's going to happen next? So I, I'm on board. So with all that said, I think I'm going to go a B minus um, on the story. I, it definitely has some potential. It, it, it it's making me interested to see what's going to happen next with this whole thing. Uh, and I think I'd go an overall grade on it of, uh, I think I'd do an overall grade of B minus. It, it's, it's pretty good. All right. So we're, we're in shouting distance of each other on everything, but the cover. Yeah. Yeah, so I think so. That'll, uh, that'll take care of this issue. We still have one more to go. In the meanwhile, we got a little email. Oh Yeah. So I'm going to hit the first piece, which we, what we do, what we have, just by the way, is we have two pieces of email, and then we have some Logan's Run-centric email after that. So if you're interested in knowing the, or hearing the Logan's Run stuff, stay with us. Our mailbox sucks, and it takes a long time for me to actually open something. <laughs> I click on open, and i got to wait for it. I don't know why, so bear with me. Sorry. That's okay. I'm opening the second one go. in advance just yes, uh, that's, to get that's set. Wise. So the first one is about our JSA Strange Adventures uh, review, and it's from our good buddy Russell Bragg. 
It is dated April 28th, 2020. And Russell says, hi, guys. I have truly missed real life with Dr. Bill Robinson. Dr. Bill had told that story before, but I don't care. It's fun. I have enjoyed the entire coverage of this series. I'm in the process of trying to get the trade for it, but it sure is expensive. I'm with Dr. Bill. Olivia Newton-John is awesome. I've been a fan for a very long time. Probably Greece was my first dose of ONJ. I want to get her book from Audible, which she reads. You guys may know about me and my love for Christmas music. I was so happy when I discovered that she released a Christmas album, which now it resides in my vast collection. You talked about Ollie's. We have one, and I've only been a couple of times. Don't think I've gotten anything from there yet. You also mentioned my favorite comic shop, mycomicshop.com. I'll admit it's not like going to an actual shop with the old comic book smells, but it's about all I got. I usually trade my duplicates or books I no longer want to them, and I get comic book credit. At this time, I'm closing in on $100 credit. Back to the JSA. I've always loved the Justice Society, but was bummed out with them after Crisis on Infinite Earths. I like the idea of Earth 2 and still do. I just don't think they worked post-crisis. I think the Strange Adventures stories were as close as we get nowadays. I could be wrong. You need a Golden Age Superman and Batman on the team, even though they were only honorary members. I can't stand Johnny Thunder, so I didn't like he was the storyline's <laughs> focus. Other than that, I truly enjoyed it and can't wait to get the trade. I don't know if you're looking for more short series to talk about, but I have a few. How about Superman Batman Generations? Shh, don't say that in front of Scott. Superman The Secret Years, America vs. The Justice Society of America. There are probably more I could list, but those are off the top of my head. Better close for now. I should probably be mad at you guys for yet another comic series I have to buy, but I'm not mad. That's the lunacy of comic buying, I guess. Thanks for the show and keeping me in, keeping me entertained. Russell Bragg, Clarksburg, West Virginia. It's always good to hear from Russell. He's such a good guy. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'm sorry for making you spend money, but I'm glad you enjoy what we do enough to want to go seek it out uh you you already did a generations episode of, of something didn't you no um well you just so talked about it i've always wanted to cover that and one of the last things that mike and i ever recorded together was we did the first i think it's just the first issue i don't think we made it to the second issue we did the first issue intending to finally do our epic coverage of Generations because we talked about it so many times over the years. And we did that first episode, and uh, I don't think it ever aired. I, if it did, I missed it. It, it would have aired on one of Mike's shows, but I don't think that it ever did. And it just breaks my heart because I really would have liked to have done that. So, you know, maybe one of these days... You know, it'll it'll surface, or I'll I'll pick it up and do it myself, or something. But I love that story. You know, Superman, Batman Generations to me is one of the best Superman stories, maybe ever, but definitely of like the past thirty years. I mean, it, it's tops. That's that's a great great story. I, I I've always really liked it. Now I'm talking strictly of the first four issue mini. I think it was diminishing returns very quickly after that one. Now, what were the other ones he mentioned? He mentioned. Uh, 
America versus the Justice Society. Now, we we did cover that one on Tales of the JSA. So if you go back through the history of uh, of Tales of the Justice Society of America, which is a podcast I used to do, um, we did cover that. And, uh, and he's got Superman: The Secret Years. Spoiler alert on that. I loved that when I was a kid, but we found covering it in depth on that show, it does not hold up. It's, Which one, it's, America versus it? Yeah, that is the textbook definition of a slog. It was an absolute slog to get through. And the resolution of that, which I'm struggling to remember what it was, uh, and I don't want to spoil it for somebody that hasn't read it or maybe hasn't read it in a long time, but the resolution of that story was flat stupid. So, you know, I, I'm not trying to piss on anybody's parade because I know that's a book that's still held in high regard. But if you hold it in high regard, it might be because you haven't read it in a long, long time. Because having not read it for like decades and then, re, you know, I read it for when we covered it. Uh, and it wasn't just me. Mike and I both came to the same conclusion that, wow, this really is not very good. So, you know, we're, just a word of caution on that. But covering it was still fun anyway. Uh, and then what was the other one, Superman? You know, I don't know that I've ever read Superman The Secret Years all the way through, and I really want to. So maybe maybe that's one to put on the cover list. Let's do that. Yeah, let's do that. Because, you know, as a kid, I remember only ever having scattered issues of it, and the issue or two that I actually read, I at the time I remember really not liking it because – I, I really didn't like the really, I mean, I, I thought they were really shitty um, Frank Miller covers, but then also the interior art by, um, by Kurt Swan, I just didn't think was some of his best stuff. And I think I also may have read those post crisis. So after, you know, post crisis, I was, and again, it's one of those things I keep getting beat up for saying, but post crisis, I was done with kurt swan i just didn't want to see him again after that you know what i mean right and so you know but now after all these years and and i'm pretty sure i finally did acquire all four issues that, that's something i really do need to go back and read it because i i don't think i ever have read it all the way through so so you're ready to forgive him <laughs> it's not just for it's not so much forgiven because don't get me wrong i i was a kurt swan fan and in a lot of ways i still am a kurt swan fan but I just wanted something fresh and new. By the by, the time he was done with Superman, I was ready for him to be done with Superman because he he just he he'd overstayed his welcome for me personally, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I know the feeling. I know what you mean. You you see Superman by Buckler or Jose Garcia Lopez or you know some of these other artists that that you know Neil Adams that touched Superman, you know, late in the silver age like that. And Kurt Swan, I'm sorry, just, I, I couldn't go back, you know, I couldn't go back to stodgy old Kurt Swan Superman after seeing how dynamic he could be by Garcia Lopez. That was my issue. So. Yeah, that makes sense. I have no problem with that. Okay. So our next email is from Jason Daniels. Have we heard from Jason before? Not that I could specifically recall, and you know, I, I feel kind of bad because sometimes I think we've heard of, heard from people and then they write in again, and 
I feel like we're dissing them a little because we don't remember <laughs> everybody's name, and I apologize right. to anybody that we've ever done that to, and I'm sure we have. Uh, and it's certainly not an intentional slight. It's just that I'm old. Yeah, well, me too. It, it, by the tone of it, it kind of sounds like it might be a first email. Jason, if you have written in before, uh, I, I for, I'm, you know, forgive me for not remembering, but uh, I really like this email. So here we go. It's addressed to me, uh, Paul, and Bill. It says, I recently discovered your podcast in November of 2019 and have since been catching up from episode one. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> I can say that's impressive. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah I'm always kind of uh, – taken aback when people are like yeah i love your show so i went all the way back to the beginning. i'm like no no don't do that <laughs> but he says i'm quite happy that i found your podcast well so are we he says i myself have been feeling more and more disillusioned with newer books for quite some time i began reading comics in 1994 i was mostly a marvel reader back then following all of the spider-man titles uncanny x-men and x-men and the various sonic the hedgehog books from archie comics Eventually, I would discover DC when I visited my first comic shop in 1999 and was exposed to a wider selection of comics. My first two DC titles were Green Lantern and the JLA. That same comic shop called Collectible Dreams, which was located in my hometown of uh, Sealands Grove, PA. Man, I haven't heard of Sealands Grove in a long, long time. I definitely know the place. He said, uh, would later introduce me to indies as well, such as Buzz Boy, Milk and Cheese, Tank Girl, and various cross-gen titles and Dark Horse Star Wars comic books. Awesome. Uh, he says, more importantly, though, it introduced me to the world of back-issue collecting. As the years pass and I continue to endure One More Day and the New 52 and more recently, garbage like Heroes in Crisis and the seemingly endless infected slash Euro villains tie-ins, I began to realize that the magic was gone. The stacks of unread newer titles began to grow higher and higher. Meanwhile, I found myself retreating further and further into the past like Rip Hunter in the Time Masters miniseries. My goal was much more ambitious than Rip's, though. I had, uh, I had no concern over Vandal Savage's petty plans for world domination. I simply wanted to find one damn good book to read. Preach it, brother. Preach it. I'm loving this email. He says, a few months ago, I finally told my current LCS, Collectible Dreams sadly closed not long after I graduated high school in 2003, that I wanted to end my pull list. The last of the books uh, they had ordered for me have slowly been trickling in with less and less frequency. As soon as the last of them arrives, I don't know that there will be much that I will be that I will willingly pick off the shelf. However, I, I find that I'm not upset about this. I am instead rather excited. You see, my comic collection is organized a bit differently than most people's. I keep all of my comics in chronological order by cover date rather than alphabetically. And so I have begun my own journey back to the bins, so to speak. Uh, I've recently started reading through my entire collection of unread comics, beginning with the oldest book I own, Lassie, number 42, from September, October of 1958. Over the last few months, uh, I've made it as far as House of Mystery 157 of, uh, from March of 1966. Damn. He says, I have uh, plenty of reading to keep me busy for years already, and I regularly visit all the quarter bins and dollar bins in my area. I also have my trades and hardcovers organized this way and occasionally uh, enjoy a diversion into them. After breaking, 
after taking rather a brief detour to the late 80s, early 90s to read all three volumes of Grant Morrison's Doom Patrol from my book club my wife and I participate in, I am back on track reading Superman, The Golden Age, Volume 1, attempting to catch... Uh, attempting to catch my trade reading up to where I am in the back issues. I'm glad to know that as I continue my own journey through my collection, that there is a podcast that exists in the same spirit that I can listen to and enhance my own reading experiences. Thank you, gentlemen, for the hours of entertainment and education. I've learned a lot from your reviews and often to make notes of books to look for after hearing them discussed on episodes. The Hugo Danner Spotlight remains a favorite of mine. Oh, my, me too. I, that's one of my favorite episodes of Ben's. It says, uh, I hope you continue to podcast for years to come. Meanwhile, I'll keep reading and will most certainly keep listening. And that's uh, sincerely from Jason Daniels. Thank you, Jason. Uh, this this email made my day. This is, this is the kind of stuff we like to hear. So uh, thank you for writing in and... Uh, Thank you for the kind words. And yeah, you have definitely found the right show because I agreed with everything you said. <laughs> you had me at one more day. <laughs> the uh, the two thoughts that come to me is uh, one that I totally agree. And I'm, I'm, you know, as far as the old books and all of that. And I, and it is gratifying to know that there's people who listen to us who, you know, who take that pleasure from it because, you know, sometimes we wonder, are we just spinning our wheels for our own fun, which is fine if we are, or are we reaching an audience? And it's always nice to hear from new people. I, I you know, I don't, I never want to begrudge the people who are old friends like, you know, Russell and Kirk and all that, those guys who, 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 who've stayed with us through thick and thin and right in. And I always appreciate them. But every once in a while, when we hear from somebody who we had never heard from before, it's particularly gratifying because now we're getting, you know, an idea that we're getting out to a larger audience than we already were. So I really appreciate that. Uh, and I also know Absolutely. the difficulty of going into the store and saying, cancel my pull list. That's yeah. a very hard step. That's like an addict going going to yeah. a rehabilitation center. It so. is. It really is. Yeah, it's it's akin to like having to saw your arm off or something. I mean, it, it is tough. I remember when I did it and I was like, you know, you, you're full of doubt and you're full of, you know, it's yeah. It's like you say, it's like an addict trying to quit any addiction. You know, it's, you get the shakes and the sweats and yeah, exactly. But I tell you what, man, you know, it's just my personal opinion, but you are so much better off. Every every since I have finally, you know, cut my addiction to, you know, going to the LCS, you know, every week, every month, whatever, to pick up the new books and, and decided, you know what, I'm going to concentrate on filling those holes in the collections and the books that I love as opposed to keep spending way much more money. I mean, considerably more money to pick up new books that I hate. And uh, my life has been so much happier for it. So I, I think we're on the right track. I really do. Okay. And once again, just thanks for letting us know. And anybody else who, you know, it, it, I, you know, I, I don't want to just be totally seeking uh, people's praise, but anybody who, you know, we never heard of heard from before and you, you know if you're listening and you think you've thought of uh checking in please do because we, we're definitely interested in hearing from you uh, absolutely you know, what, what you like and you know for that matter what you don't like you know we never want to hear that people don't like something but if they don't we'd rather know about it so that we could try and maybe improve it if possible you suck you jackass why don't you shut the hell up anyway the next email is from somebody else that i'm not sure if i uh 
if he's written into us before. So once again, anybody who has written in and then I don't acknowledge that, I apologize. But it's from Stephen McGregor. And it's about our Logan's Run number one episode. And he says, wow, this was a great episode. First time emailer here. So there we go. Uh, I never gave this book a second thought. You guys really made me want to find this comic series. Thanks. Love the show, guys. Stephen McGregor. And same same thing to you, Stephen. Thank you for writing into us. And thank you for your praise. We really appreciate it. It's always nice to get some positive thoughts. Absolutely. Well, I just I love it when people tell us stuff like that. Like I, I discovered this, you know, because you talked about it. I, you know, that's that's for especially if they like it, you know. So, you know, write back to us, Stephen, when you do track it down and, and let us know what you thought of it, because I, that that means a lot to me. It really does. And, you know, we always joke that, you know, we wish we were getting the kickback. But, you know, seriously, <laughs> it's just just, you know, knowing that somebody discovered something because we blabbed about it. I don't know. I, I still after all these years, I still get the warm fuzzies about that. I think that's pretty cool. Absolutely. So our next email is another first time email, but it's somebody who we are familiar with now from the uh, Facebook page. And uh, Scott, you had some interaction with them because the email is from Dan Teets, co-host of yeah. Kind Rewind, a Disney movie podcast found on iTunes and Spotify under Be Kind Rewind DMP. So peek behind the curtain. Just before we sat down to record this episode, uh, I was a guest on uh, on Be Kind Rewind. Um, by the time you're hearing this, hopefully their episode will be up. I, I think he said he was going to have it be their next episode. Uh, and we discussed uh, the 1984 uh, Touchstone. It was the very first Touchstone film uh, from Disney, Splash, with Tom Hanks and Daryl Hannah. And uh, I am a huge fan of that movie, so I probably ran my mouth a lot more than I needed to. But uh, I, I love that movie, and it was a blast. Uh, Dan's a really good guy, and is uh, is co-host as well. One of the few positives that I can give you out of the pandemic, uh, and it's stretching things looking for a silver lining, but one of the few things is because we've been home more, uh, we've actually built up our uh, surplus of episodes a little bit more. So I anticipate that their episode of Be Kind Rewind will post a decent amount of time before this episode will air. Right, right. So there may be a, a lag, but I would I would imagine by the time you hear this, you can download that episode without a problem. I had a brain fart temporarily. I forgot you know, what we were recording right now. I haven't even edited the other episodes yet. So, yeah, it, they'll definitely have, well, the, have a chance to listen to Dan's well before ours. So, yeah. This is Go episode number six of the Logan's Run retrospective. Episode two has not yet posted as we record this. Right. Uh, and then we and we're not just putting this out in consecutive weeks either. There's going to be a lot of other things in between each episode. So it'll be a there'll, there'll be a significant lag between when when we recorded this and when you hear it. But hopefully it'll still be timely enough for people to enjoy. That's that's one, another beauty of us doing old comics. So. The, the, the email from Dan, now that I'll get to it, it says, Good morning, gentlemen. Long-time listener, first-time writer. I've spent the last year listening through back episodes, and this morning finally listened to the most recent episode, Logan's Run Number 1. I watched this movie for the first time in March 2019, and being a child of the 80s was intrigued at the premise, but was left lacking in the finish of the story. I personally have not read this comic, but I've watched the movie and... I'm interested in going and seeking it out now to see if the series has a different ending than the movie. I'm looking forward to hearing you guys cover the next issue of the comic. 
I have six short boxes of comics and one long box, but the majority of the comics are from the early 2000s, as I didn't get into comics until that time. I've started reading through my comics at night, and I'm currently working my way through the 52 weekly series. Please don't berate me for not knowing any better than to purchase the comics of that age. I do have several earlier comics, like the six Man of Steel miniseries, six issue Man of Steel miniseries that started the John Byrne run, and the Executioner's Song miniseries. I've spent many hours listening and laughing at the jokes, and actually blame you gentlemen for my delving into my own podcast, which was started earlier this year. My wife and I listened to the epic four-hour episode 400 Looney Tunes on our way down to Panama City beach about a month ago and both of us were cracking up several times at the clips that were interspersed in the show i did want to say a special thank you to bill since he gave me several pointers on how to record over skype as my other co-host is in florida like bill and scott keep on making episodes and i will keep listening sincerely dan teats thank you dan i appreciate all the compliments and i'm glad we're keeping people entertained and i'm, I'm really loving that we're getting first-time listeners here well, first-time writers, not necessarily listeners. Absolutely. Yeah, that's awesome. And, you know, like you said, we're putting out the call to, you know, if, if you're a, you know, if you just discovered the show, if you've been listening for years, if you've been listening from the beginning and you've never written in, yeah, definitely, you know, let us know. But also, I, I'm always curious how people found the show, how you discovered us. So, you know, write in and let us know. Or, hell, even if you're a, a long-time, uh, you know, correspondent to the show let's say but you've never you know told your origin story let us know I, I i'm fascinated by these things how did you find us you know what's your thing in comics you know how how did you get into comics what do you enjoy about comics those sorts of things too i, I really want to get to know our audience the folks that are out there so yeah all right we got one more for today and uh just I haven't read it in full, but just kind of glancing it over, it looks like I'm being taken to task a little bit here. So let's jump into this one. This one is from John Hyatt, and I'm pretty sure John has written in before, but I like that he gives a little pronunciation guide for his name here because this is why I think I recognize it because his name is spelled H A J, or excuse me, H I J rather, A T T, and I think I mispronounce it as Hyatt. And so he gave me a little uh, pronunciation guide here as Hyatt, John Hyatt. So he says, uh, hey, Paul and Scott, he says, I am. So now, how did he know that Bill wasn't going to be here? <laughs> he says, I am so happy to have coverage of Logan's run. Oh, awesome. He says, uh, I have to say this is one of my all time favorite science fiction movies and comic adaptations. Amen. He says uh, it is actually one of the earliest series that I bought off the rack. The Perez art is phenomenal, and I love to revisit this series on a regular basis as I do the movie. I wish it was possible to get a trade with a cleanup of the color uh, bound and in better quality paper. Surely not going to happen unless the studio sees a benefit, perhaps uh, before some Netflix, Hulu, or Amazon Prime series remake. Uh, so when I was a kid of 11, I was fascinated with the film. I couldn't wait to see it, bought the novel and the comics. When I found an onk somewhere, I was thrilled that I had a key to Sanctuary. That's awesome. He says, uh, the film is very far from the book series. There are three, Logan's Run, Logan's World, and Logan's Search. The books are fine in their own world, as is the movie. You have to separate them. Enjoy the film for what it is and enjoy the books for what they are. Don't compare. I don't know that we have really done a whole lot of comparison. I don't know that we really even discussed the books very much. I read the first book, Logan's Run, as a kid. Uh, I couldn't tell you how old I was. I was... A, 
you know, probably early teens, just because I, I love the film and the comics adaptation so much. I don't remember really much of anything about it other than I just didn't like it at all. So, yeah, I, I couldn't really compare the two just because I really don't remember it at all. I'm not sure if I'm remembering the right book or not, but is there a scene in the book where Logan has to have sex like multiple times in a row and it's commenting on his um, um, arrival each time, like how it gets more painful. Am I thinking of the right story? Somebody write in and let me know on that. But that, that's like the only thing I remember, but I'm not sure that's the, I'm even thinking of the right book. Did you ever read it, Paul? No, I never did. No. Uh, okay. So here's where he's taking me to task. He says, Scott, you often said something like, Oh, that's very Star Wars. Sorry, friend. Logan's run came out nearly a year before Star Wars. So you should be saying of Star Wars, that is very Logan's run. You're absolutely right. And and I'm I'm well aware of this. I, I know that Logan's run, you know, was was earlier than Star Wars. I was really into Logan's run when uh Star Wars came out. So yeah, I, I'm aware. It's just in podcast you know, in my podcasting life, you know, Star Wars was the big thing that kind of launched Two True Freaks uh in the early days, you know, when uh, when Chris and I covered uh, Marvel Star Wars in order. So yeah, I know. I, I keep doing that, referring to something that's actually much later. So you're you're right in taking me to task on that. I, I should say it the other way around. He says, I imagine that as with the Star Wars adaptation later, the series was uh, adapted from an original script and not the theatrical version as released. So there may be some extras and slight variations, such as the opening scene you thought didn't work. I agree that the opening should be the idyllic, everything is awesome, then reveal the dark side to this wonderful existence. I, yeah, totally. It says, I do have a thought about the last day discussion. I don't think everyone in the city attended last day ceremonies. I think it was an option that people chose to attend or not, like we do today for sporting events. He says, I imagine that people who knew those whose day it was uh, would attend as well as those who just thought it was fun to watch the renewal challenge. Yeah, I, I can buy that. Uh, it's a really fun series. The Perez are is top of the game and the pacing of the story is perfect, I think. Uh, if you'd ever like to have another voice in the series, I volunteer. He says, I've been uh, interning with the f uh, fine folks at Third Degree Burn for about a year now. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I've heard John on there, and, and he's he's good. Uh, but we're pretty much done with the series, John. Right, yeah. <laughs> Maybe we'll have you for something else. He says, thanks for doing this series, and please continue it through all seven issues. Yep, that is definitely the plan. Uh, and again, he says, best regards, John Hyatt. And he says, P.S. Scott. Oh, here we go. I miss the All-Star Squadron coverage from many years ago. Uh, I used to be a mailman and listened to it while delivering mail. Oh, that's awesome. That explains where all the mail went. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. He says, I loved it. It was really a, uh, a look, forward, uh, look forward to part of my week uh, so I could have uh, something to listen to while on my route. Thanks. Just wanted you to know that it is missed. Uh, I may have, I may have to just download them again and uh, download them and listen again. Uh, do it. I, I have actually been doing that myself. I've been listening back. Uh, I just began a, a re-listen project for uh, for uh, Tales of the JSA. So, yeah, I know. I miss it too. And uh, yeah, there's not a month that goes by that somebody doesn't, you know mention the show to me so yeah i know it's it's always on my mind all right so 
guess that'll do it for this time out. That's it for our email. We've we've cleaned out the box finally because it's been sitting there for a while. But we encourage uh, anybody who's interested to you know let us know what you think as well. And Please. we have one more issue to cover, and we will get to it. Hopefully, you guys will still want to listen. <laughs> have a good night, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at bins at twotruefreaks.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of Demanzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week.
Hello and thank you for calling the Tales of the Justice Society of America 24-hour live human being customer service hotline. Hello, I... Unfortunately, all uh. of our representatives are sleeping. Or busy. Uh, busy. All of our representatives are busy right now. But if you stay on the line, your call will be answered in reverse Hungarian alphabetical order, starting with the letter... D. Okay. Your call is very important to us. Please stay on the line. Alright. We are experiencing longer than usual wait times. Your call will be answered in... 94. Minutes. Please continue to hold. Your call is extremely important to us. Please stay uh, Check us out on the web at www.2truefreaks.com. Your call is ridiculously important to us. Yeah, if my call's so important, then why don't you answer it? What the f*** is taking so long? You may be asking yourself, what the f*** is taking so long? Um, be sure we'll be with you shortly. Please continue to hold. Answer. Answer the goddamn... <laughs> Let me check, is he still there? Ah! Guys, he's still holding! Oh, Jesus. We're sorry for your wait. Please continue to hold. God damn it! Tales of the Justice Society of America returns soon with brand new episodes. Stay tuned.